Hello. Now, in this episode, we're going to be looking at energy efficiency when it comes to our home design. Now, when you design your home to suit its climate, you can dramatically impact its long-term energy costs. Not only this, achieving a specific level of energy efficiency is actually legislated in a lot of locations, and it's required in order for you to achieve your necessary approvals before you start construction. So I'm bringing in an energy efficiency consultant to share some fantastic information with us on this topic. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, energy efficient design is another one of those terms that gets thrown around when we talk about creating a sustainable home. So in this episode, I wanted to share with you why designing for climate is a key way to achieve an energy efficient home. And it's also important in creating a sustainable design. And there are specific mechanisms that are in place to determine the energy efficiency of a home. And in many cases, you'll be required to achieve a specific standard in order to get your home approved and be able to commence construction. So let's go into a bit more detail about this. Different areas have different climatic conditions, and this can really impact the ability of your home to perform and to keep you warm and keep you cool. So knowing your climate and how to design for it can be a really simple way of achieving a thermally comfortable home. There's resources in Australia such as yourhome.gov.au and there's other resources globally that will tell you what your climate region is or what your zone is and then what you need to do to design for that climate, be it you have to prioritize heating or cooling or something like that. Now, in Australia, and this also occurs in other locations around the world, part of achieving your building approval for your new or your renovated home You'll have an energy efficiency assessment done of your home and it'll need to achieve a six-star rating. So this can be a confusing step for homeowners. It's often done after all the design is completed, the design documentation is all done. And so if your home doesn't get six stars in that energy efficiency assessment, then you can be conditioned with lots of extra requirements plus the cost of including them all to bring your energy rating of your home up before you're able to start constructing it. Now, energy efficiency legislation for residential building and construction, in Australia, it sits inside the National Construction Code, and its main aim is to reduce Australia's greenhouse gas emissions. Now, if your home is more thermally comfortable by design, then it's going to lower your requirement for artificial heating and cooling, and this in turn is going to lower the home's energy use and greenhouse gas emissions. So when you understand what's actually required to achieve your six-star energy rating before you start designing, rather than doing it at the point of getting approvals, if you understand before you start designing, then you can build it into your project very simply by design. And this means that your home can save you money and uh, in the long-term running costs, and you can save money in construction and in your energy bills overall. I actually recall having a conversation with a local builder when I was in Brisbane, really well reputed one. He was very shocked because I was telling him about 
the large renovation that my husband and I did of the Art Deco Queenslander that I recently published on the blog, we achieved a six-star energy rating for that straight out of the gates when we were getting our building approval done. We didn't have to do any modifications. Um, all of the design measures that I'd put in and that I'd budgeted as part of our construction achieved the six-star energy rating. And he had just finished the renovation of his own home, which was an extension to a Queenslander as well. And at the point of getting the approval, he'd been conditioned with a whole series of upgrades in order to achieve his six-star energy rating, and they'd ended up costing him an extra $150,000. So it was insulation, range of other measures that he didn't initially budget for, um, and you know it was all done at that point of trying to get his building approval. Now, the key difference was that I had designed our home and that extension for the orientation and the climate of where it was located. And his project had not been designed in that way. All of this stuff happens up front on the drawing board. Okay. And it can actually be cheaper when you get it right at the beginning. Can you imagine you're about to start construction and you can't get your building approval until you agree to an extra $150,000 in measures in order to get your six star energy rating? You know, this is what we're going to help you avoid. Okay. And plus you'll have a far more comfortable home as a result. Now, as I said, when you're having your home uh, approved as part of its building approval process, the energy efficiency consultant will be brought in to assess the performance of your proposed design. And so the guest that I have on the podcast today is going to help us understand more about this role because this is the role that she performs. And she's going to share her experience and the mistakes that she sees homeowners make and how you can save big money on your home when you're informed about this process. So let me introduce my guest, Tori Walker. So Tori is a principal energy rater at Bearer, which is a company that seeks to provide excellence in building energy ratings and advice. She's been involved in the design and renovations of homes for over a decade now, and she's worked with building designers, architects, builders, energy assessors, and homeowners, both privately and professionally during this time. Now, Bearer has completed the necessary qualifications and registrations in order to rate homes in all states of Australia. And it's worth understanding that the systems and requirements can vary across locations and that you need to work with someone who is uh, certified for your region. Now, for the overseas listeners of the podcast, I still recommend that you stay tuned in because Tori's got some fantastic insights and suggestions on what makes an energy efficient home, and they're going to be helpful regardless of your location. And Tori's actually got a great blog with lots of information and help on this topic. So I'm going to pop a link for her website in the show notes as well. Now let's dive into the interview. So Tori, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here because you've got a wealth of experience and expertise that's really going to help the UA community in this regard. So I'm wondering if you can start with just in your words, telling me what you think an energy efficient home actually is. Yes, I love this question. Um, an, energy efficiency, an energy efficient home is one that uses uh, good design, appropriate construction and the environment to create an energy efficient home that really doesn't use much um, energy in heating or cooling the home. It uses the environment, the design and the construction. So the light bulbs and appliances, they're important, but really it's the whole home and the construction of the home. Yeah, it's fantastic because I think that um, a lot of people underestimate just what they can do with them, the things that they're already doing anyway, you know, the design and the material selections and those types of things to make such a significant difference in how the home will perform over the long term and what it will mean in terms of their heating and cooling costs over the long term as well. So, Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I always tell people when they start here, this is the thing that will really make a big difference to the sustainability of the home long-term too. So Mm -hmm. now part of this is obviously going to be understanding the climate of where you live because climates vary and then their demands that that places on the home and how it needs to perform. So why is it important to know the climate and, you know, where do you sort of suggest people start when they're thinking about the climate for the home and the location of the home? Yeah, climate is really important. I think a lot of people intuitively know their climate. You know, we get those cold winds in September or we get our heat waves in December or they might come in February. So they kind of intuitively know. But if you've got accurate climate data, then you can really use that to inform how you design your house, depending on where the sun is at particular times of year and where you want to be heating or cooling, you know, working with the climate. So I live in southeast Queensland and our temperature is pretty mild, our climate's pretty mild, but um, we've got those heat waves. They come in December and January, so you need to uh, be able to have a design and construction that can cope with that. Um, but say in central Australia, most people would intuitively think it's really hot, but actually their nights get really cold. And so they have to have a design that can also to some degree try and bring in that winter heat trap it so that for those really cold nights they don't have to be putting the heating on so if you can understand your climate zone uh, in more detail and appreciate that that's going to have an impact on the design then yeah you're further ahead in your understanding of it all yeah it's funny isn't it I often speak to homeowners and they'll say to me oh you know we live in a warm location it's warm for a good part of the year so I don't need to worry so much about orienting my home correctly because I actually want to keep the sun out of my home and it's like well you may want to keep the the warmth of the sun out but you probably still want to let sunlight in so let's have a think about you know how can you design for that sensitivity that climate and and it is that thing too I see in you know a lot of my career has been in southeast Queensland and there's always this like um, dogmatic approach sometimes to designing homes that will stay cool but then in winter you still get fairly cold nights in winter and if your house hasn't been set up to deal with that then you will be running some kind of form of heating for most of the winter which can get very expensive so Absolutely. And especially with our open plan homes at the moment, heating a house, yeah, it actually does cost quite a bit. And the winter is longer than we all like to admit. (laughs) And I think for some people too, the summer is longer than they like to admit because most people want to enjoy where they are. And so will sometimes in their mind make out that it's not as bad as it is. Um, But also in terms of those heating and cooling costs, it's about future-proofing your home because no matter what happens with the National Energy Guarantee yeah. and politics, you know. Prices are only going up, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, and I think yeah. too when you look at the demand, you know, I um, we live in a, you know, a, what's known as a, I suppose a regional location. It's northern New South Wales, but I've never experienced as many electrical um, electricity power outages um, as we have here. We just lose power you know, it just sort of trips and and the whole area will lose power for a few hours. And it's just because the infrastructure isn't here to cope with demands at particular times of the year in the same way that it might be in an urban location. And you're starting to see that happen more in urban locations as well. And the fact that... Or in whole state. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's very true. Grid, <laughs> grid's just not coping with the demands that our increasing electrical needs are placing on them and just not keeping pace with the growth that our electrical demands are having. So I think that, yeah, that, that future-proofing idea is a very sound one because um, if we can look to what we can do to minimise our home's energy use, then that's only going to stand us in good stead as those prices keep rising over the long term. So, And for me, this is all about saving cash. It's not, you know, like it has that beautiful benefit of saving, of being, you know, friendly to the environment, creating a much more comfortable and, and um, home that feels better, but it also affects our bottom line and our financial stability in the home too, doesn't it? Absolutely. In the long term. <laughs> yes, Sometimes definitely. you need to have that 10-year focus to uh, recoup some of the costs. But I mean, who, who wouldn't think of that 10-year focus? Most definitely. It's a home. Most people are planning on living in it for longer than one year. Yes. Yeah. And I mm. see a lot of these things having benefits in resale now too, because people are keen to, they, they do look for these as, as advantages and differentiation points in the marketplace. So it is something that definitely, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't really get any extra premium for energy efficient measures. Now it is something mm. that is actually a saleable asset in a home. So now the National Construction Code, which sort of governs all of the building legislation in Australia, it actually requires homes to achieve a six star energy rating, doesn't it? And I like I've seen in my career that climb from sort of three star, four star, five star up to six star. So it's moving and keeps moving. Can you actually explain to the UA community what does a six star rating mean in a practical sense like what is the star rating system and what does it mean in terms of a home and and you know in a way that 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 I suppose has has a common sense application yeah sure so the way I explain it to people who have never heard of it before is that the six star rating on houses is similar to the energy rating you might have on a fridge you know you see those little stars on that little sticker that we're all now familiar with um, so it's like that, but it's actually rating the house, the whole house, out of 10 stars. And it does that by working out how much energy that home is going to use in heating and cooling because they're the majority, they're the biggest user of energy that a house will ever have unless they've got 18 fridges or something <laughs> strange. But normally it's heating and cooling that does create the majority of your energy load. So it just focuses on that, the heating and cooling, and it works out how many megajoules per metre square per year, your house, or to be honest, it's an area-adjusted equivalent because you can't really compare a two-bedroom shack and a seven-bedroom mansion. So they area-adjust it and then they work out what would your home use in energy and then basically equate that to a star rating. So if it uses no energy at all, it would get 10 stars. Uh, if it uses heaps and heaps of energy, it's going to get three or four stars and so you'll need to change the construction or maybe even the design to get it to get that uh, megajoules down so that your stars can go up and as you mentioned yeah it has been introduced incrementally um, it actually is good legislation like it's legislation it's not perfect but it's good legislation it's trying to reduce Australia's greenhouse gas emissions by having energy efficient homes built so it's actually good legislation on the whole um, and has been introduced incrementally and at the moment we're sitting at six stars there's a few variations because each uh, each state has to basically adopt the National Construction Code with their own legislation, um, but at the moment six stars is the norm. Yeah, and it's um, I th it is has been interesting to see it in, increase over that you know like over the duration of my career and see um, how much the actual design of the home can impact your ability to achieve that star rating. You know, it's not just all about applying these measures. 
after the fact of the design, you're actually obviously far better placed to bring it into the design first. And so you you use a tool called NatHERS to assess this energy rating. Can you tell me what NatHERS means and what it actually what that process involves? Because when somebody's getting their building approval before they commence construction on their renovation or, build, or building project, they have to get an energy efficiency assessment done, don't they? And they have to achieve this six-star rating. This all has to happen as part of you getting a building approval. So can you talk to me as your role as a consultant, what you sort of do in that process, the tool and how what it looks at and how it works? Yeah, because that's often the first time that people have heard of energy efficiency or start to think about it. Um, so basically, NATHERS stands for the National House Energy Rating Scheme and it is part of the National Construction Code legislation uh, the they the NatHERS basically accredits the software, and there's three software interfaces that we can use in Australia. But behind those interfaces is an engine that's been developed by the CSIRO, and it is so comprehensive. This legislation, basically, what it has us do is model the house into the software. So everything we model every wall the height of the wall, the shading of the wall, the construction of the wall, the openings in the wall, be they doors or windows or ventilation openings, and that's just for the wall. Floors, internal walls, um, whether it's next to a garage or next to a bathroom. Um, so basically you model everything into this software and then it calculates the temperature of every room in the house, every hour of the day, every day of the year, for that particular orientation and climate zone. So you can see it's quite comprehensive, takes quite a while to run it, takes quite a lot of time to input all the information. Um, but once you've done that, it comes out with that energy load and star rating. And the great thing about this software is once you've got all the information in, changing one element, so for example, changing the roof colour from dark to light is really simple. You can run all the calcs again and you can find out what difference that makes to your design. So, yeah, that's that's basically Nat Hers in a nutshell. It incorporates everything to do with the house, almost everything. Yeah, do you find, because often people, as you say, don't realise that this has to occur until they're going to find their building approval and perhaps they might not have worked with a designer that is really passionate about sustainable design or thinks about sort of climate and site and orientation and those types of things as they're designing. I have a lot of homeowners who, um, you know, inside my online courses and things like that, who are battling designers who um, aren't on the same page about sustainability. And so they obviously get to this point and um, all of the things that they've been fighting for and sort of getting pushback from their design. You know, I had one, one, one homeowner tell me recently that, um, she's got a, a south to rear house and there has been really battling the designer to try and get northern light into her south-facing living spaces and she actually asked this designer, what are we going to do in winter? And he said, put a heater on. And so, you know, it's that kind of mm -hmm. thing where you just, you know, you know that poor homeowners are dealing with this in the industry because the industry isn't across the board on the same page about what it requ it's required. Is this something you ever work um, with homeowners sort of at an interim basis or do you find that homeowners are generally coming to you as the building approval is getting done, you know, because I can imagine this, you know, having this, we used to have this service in-house in Mervac so we could test houses as we went. If there was anything that we thought was going to be a little bit odd, we could test it before we'd finalise the design and get it done. You know, how have you found that working with homeowners, you know, in this way could can change and flex for them? Yeah, oh, it's a big question because it really depends um, on so many factors but you know, ordinarily, uh, we are given the plans, the finished plans, 
either by the architect or the designer or the homeowner or the certifier. So my clients are all big, big range and normally they're a finished set of designs. And that's okay because I see that as my job to get the design, uh, run the calcs and then whatever it comes out as, four stars, seven stars, if it's below six stars, it's my job to let the client know, look, how can you achieve the six stars, often in the most cost-efficient manner possible, and I totally understand that. Um, but if if then, you know, with sort of increasing the insulation or changing colours, like things that don't really cost much, if we can't get it to six stars, then we have to start talking about um, treating the windows, which is often a really big part of modern home and, you know, not <laughs> nicer designed homes often have bigger areas of glazing. So we talk to them about that and the, the pros and cons of using low-air glass or double glazing or similarly broken frames. Um, so I guess that that's one factor. You know, we're given the plans and it's our job to tell the client how can you get it to reach six stars. And normally um, for most homes you can get it there. Um, for then maybe 10%, 5% of homes it requires quite a lot of work and we have to sort of liaise back and forth and work out what's going to be the best way, what are they happy with, where do they want to spend money. Um, I've only ever met what I would call an unrateable house that just there was nothing we could do, save changing the design or making the windows a little bit smaller. Um, I've only met two or three of those and <laughs> still we found a solution. But basically that's our job. So I don't mind if we come in at the end, but if we come in earlier and we do, like I've got some designers who are doing some eco villages on the Sunshine Coast hinterland, sorry, Gold Coast hinterland, or clients who um, have done a little bit of research, heard the concepts, and they get in touch and say, right, what do you think about if we're doing this? If I can get involved earlier, um, yeah, absolutely, then it's far more collaborative. Uh, there are no nasty surprises. Yeah, it's a much better outcome, I think. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think if um, if I think my advice to a homeowner who's struggling with getting a designer to really be on board with this, um, yet it's something that they're really passionate about, is that they either have to find an alternate designer or they have to gather additional consultants to help them argue their case. And you know, getting an energy assessment done is not actually a, a very expensive exercise in the grand scheme of things, given how much it can potentially save your home's running costs over the long term. So I think if you are, you are feeling, feeling that you're hitting a wall, um, that to get an energy efficiency done assessment done at that point can be a really helpful tool to then say, okay, we are definitely going down a very wrong track here. Because I always say, whilst everything's lines on a page, that's when it's the least expensive to change. So, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, the cost is in modelling the house. You're going to have to pay it anyway as a homeowner. So pay it earlier, and then to tweak it, it's really not much more. It's, yeah, you know, like literally, it's a couple of hundred dollars more once you've got your final design. Maybe even less than that, just to tweak it and finalise it. Um, yeah, it's really not much more to engage us earlier. Yeah, that's mm. that's great advice. I just wanted to touch on something that you said earlier about the dark colours and the light colours. You know, I get this question a lot from homeowners about, um, and I see, I'm actually really surprised in Australia how many people put dark roofs on their houses. Um, I know that specific materials um, will talk about the technology that they've used in their dark colours to help reflect light and heat in a way that the, the colour choice doesn't really impact 
it um, isn't doesn't have impact overall on the home's ability ability to reflect and you know um, repel heat. But I also know that when you look at the back of those materials, they'll have product information and they'll have a rating of where that colour needs to be put into the NATERS tool and it'll say dark, you know, so that, of course, mm. at some point it's going to have an impact on the mm. calculations. How, how do you, what feedback do you give people about, you know, light, medium, dark colours and, and, you know, for their roofs and their, their walls of their home and the, the role that I play, it plays, I suppose, in the, how the calculations roll out? Uh, the really interesting thing is that obviously roof is major. It's one of your biggest external elements to your build and, yeah, the colour does make a really big impact. Although, interestingly, if you've got a really large amount of insulation in your roof, dark or light doesn't make a dramatic difference, obviously, because any impact is not actually reaching into your house. Uh, the really interesting one that people don't think about is actually your window frame colour because you've got that massive area on your roof. You've got your walls. They do affect things to some extent. Um, but if you think about your metal window frames, your aluminium window frames, um, especially with um, slightly larger, wider frames, which often do look better on a modern house they are just aluminium and the heat just goes straight through they have a r value of zero and so effectively your wall is just taking that heat or letting that heat out just people um you know i never thought about it before i got into this industry and people just don't realize the impact so changing the window frames from dark to light can also have a really big wow, impact as well. that's a great tip. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah. I generally don't specify dark window frames on any of the houses I design. Um so it's yeah. <laughs> I've obviously never hit that problem personally in my yeah. choices. So but I mean sometimes you actually want them in cooler yes. climates. You actually want those darker window frames because you want to be able to draw in that heat. Yeah. That's mm. an interesting way um, to sort of balance the tactic. I, I think I actually got sidetracked from your question. Um Basically, I go with what people want. So if they've specified they want that colour, I go with that colour and I tell them what else you need in terms of the bulk insulation to make it work. Uh, if it's not working, yeah, then we'll talk about, look, we're reaching 4.8 or 5.8 stars. If you could just change the colour, that will get it over to the line. And I've recently done 27 units on the Gold Coast and it was just a struggle to get a couple of them over the line with the dark roof that they'd specified. So they ended up going light roof rather than low E glazing because that was the trade-off. That's where we got down to. You can get it to six stars, but you need low E glazing on your big sliding doors. Yes. They knew that that would cost a lot more than changing the colour of the roof. Yeah, no cost yeah. in changing the roof colour, but, yeah, big a premium exactly. in changing the glass. And that's, yeah. that's the thing is that having this information it does have um, – it gives you the ability to then balance that budget and make those decisions based on what your priorities are aesthetically. So, it's yeah, it's it's great. I just find that these rating tools are such a great a great uh, system for feedback on the design. So um, now there are some other assessment tools that, you know, people may see. There's Basics, there's BESS. You know, a lot of different states have different um, rule, uh, you know, different names of systems. And I know too we've got a lot of listeners around the world and they will have their own. There's leads and there's a whole heap of other assessment systems. I mean, I find that they're all kind of calculating similar things. What is the difference between the systems and how do people – what, to avoid confusion, what do people need to know about those different names? Yeah, if you're in New South Wales or if you're in anywhere in Australia, you've often heard of BASICS and BASICS is the New South Wales way of 
measuring energy efficiency, although it's more comprehensive. They also have a water component, you know, how much water the site is going to use, and also an energy component, which takes into account appliances and whether you're going to use solar panels and whatnot. Um, but for their thermal comfort section, which is the equivalent of the NatHERS section, uh, they don't just have a star rating where you've got to get a total sort of minimum or maximum energy load. They actually have heating and cooling loads. And so it's actually more difficult because you have to have a maximum heating load and a maximum cooling load. So you can't just throw a whole lot of fans and ventilation and make this home super cool in summer. Not so great in winter, but fantastic in summer. You've actually got to perform well in winter and summer. So, um, so that's basic. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you go. Oh, no, I was going to say, so what do you tell people they've got to achieve a six-star rating? Do they just choose the NatHERS tool and work on that? Or if they do want to be more informed, they choose something more complicated like that gives them, I suppose, a more complex readout like basics. Like how do you how do you tell people which tool to use and what you recommend? Yeah, I mean, if you're in New South Wales, you have to use basics. Um, and basics has two options. You've got the do-it-yourself method, which is, basically looking at each element of the house and giving it a pass or fail. So uh, the walls, the roof, the window, the floor construction, and that's really designed for simple houses. In fact, you actually can't use it if you have more than 80% of your floor area in glazing, which quite a lot of homes now do have. Um, there's certain, you can't have um, a lot of mezzanine levels and numbers of windows. So it's sort of for your simpler houses, the do-it-yourself method. And that will tell you how much insulation you need in your roof once you've put in your roof construction and so on. Um, but otherwise, it's the NatHERS simulation method um, and you have to have that minimum heating and cooling load. If you lived in a different state but you still wanted to, you thought that sounded really good, actually the NatHERS certificate does print out a heating and a cooling load. So we can inform clients about that, but the result will be the six star. Okay. So I think that's a really critical and useful conversation to have with your designer quite early on, isn't it? It's like, what assessment mm. tool do we have to use? What do you think yep. is going to give us good feedback about the energy use in this home? It is a priority to us that we really have a low energy use and that this home stays as thermally comfortable as possible without us having to provide a whole heap of artificial heating and cooling. We want to understand this at the outset, it not be this afterthought that we have to do at our approval stage, you know, so that you're getting mm. that being part of the conversation like you would your budget and your brief and all of those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you also mentioned that there are other terms that people might have heard. I think BESS is one, especially if you're in Victoria, you will have heard that. That's used by councils as an um, ecologically sustainable design tool. So, again, it's more comprehensive. It's a, a checklist that you go through. Um, so that's one, or Green Star or Neighbours, they're for commercial builds, you might have heard of them. Um, the other method that we can use, which is certainly a simpler method, but some, for some houses um, it will get a pass where your NatHERS is going to be really, really difficult, um, and that's the deemed to satisfy elemental provisions method. So it's <laughs> one of the, I know, <laughs> technically NatHERS is deemed to satisfy star rating method <laughs> but we don't say all of that um, so yeah it's the deemed satisfy method it's similar to basics do-it-yourself method basically we look at um, each part of the construction of the build and give it a pass or fail so um, you've got a low set however many bedroom house um, with a metal deck roof um, we say you've got to have this level of insulation under your roof and above your ceiling and then that will be a pass uh, the thing that's quite often tricky with the deemed to satisfy is the glazing. 
um, glazing. It always comes down to glazing, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, in Queensland, there's an allowance if you've got a fan on your outdoor living area and the outdoor living area qualifies, or if you've got PV panels on your roof, then you can use deemed to satisfy using uh, the National Construction Code 2009 values. So it's easier to get Queensland homes passed with deemed to satisfy. Northern Territory uses BCA or National Construction Code 2009 values, so they're usually fairly straightforward to pass as well. Um, yeah, and... I mean, you can do it for any of the states, um, but there's just basically a good energy rater can look at the design and work out what will be the best way to get it to pass the energy efficiency requirements. And right there is, I think, the most significant point is that you actually need to find somebody who's really experienced in doing this, experienced in doing it in different locations and understands the various tools and the various legislation that applies so that they can work out what's going to be the simplest approach for your project. Yeah. So that it's just not a one rule fits all thing, but that, you know, the legislation is set up to give some opportunity to um, to flex and change based on what you can argue the and achieve in the intent yeah. of the legislation, isn't it? So working yeah, with somebody absolutely. who's experienced in this regard. And what I find homeowners don't even often get to meet their energy efficiency assessor because it's sometimes it's commissioned directly through the building certifier, you know, when they go and get their building approval. So, you know, I really yep. encourage homeowners to get informed about this so that it can be part of their conversations early on. So yep. now I have homeowners who say to me, I want to exceed what's required. I want to get, you know, seven, eight, nine, even 10 stars. Can you talk through how hard this can be in your standard residential approach? You know, they'll say to me, well, I want to get eight stars, but I don't want a green looking house or, you know, um, I don't want to go over the top, but I do want to future proof this house. What are the, some of the things that you see work for people that isn't a massive big change in aesthetic or cost or design, but can make a difference and a big dent on the home's energy use overall? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I love that kind of client, firstly. <laughs> Isn't that great? Um, what you can do is live in Rockhampton because in Rockhampton it's really easy to get a high rating. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true, whether you've got slab on ground or raised off ground, it just, yeah, it's really easy why to get a that? high rating. So why is that? Well, I mean, the climate is quite temperate up there. It, it is quite um, warm, but they've got the breezes from the ocean. Um, but it doesn't get too cool in winter. So I think that's partly partly it. Um, the other things you can do, if you want to increase your energy rating, you can certainly play around with the colours of your window frames, your walls and your roof because those things are no cost. Um, obviously, if you're in a hotter climate zone, adding ceiling fans, that is incorporated into the um, – well, it's incorporated into the software energy rating, but it's good to remember that, of course, anything that increases your star rating is going to – lead to a more thermally comfortable house and lower energy costs in the future. So it's not just kind of working out how to get up that rating. That rating actually has obviously real-life benefits. Um, so you can play around with those things, but if you really want a high-energy-rated house, um, it is possible. So um, the organisation that I'm accredited with, which is Building Designers Association of Victoria, they run a competition every year, which is a 10-star design house. And people have achieved a 10-star design and some of them have actually been built. And this is in Victoria, which I think is fantastic because, you know, Victoria's cold. Yes. Um, but at some of these, I mean, you can Google them and have a look at them. Some of them are beautiful. They, they do have a look, um, but 
you know, and if it's not your kind of style, then, you know, maybe you want to pull back from 10 because that's really, really high. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're great homes. Um, so 10 stars is possible. However, what you need to understand is that uh, basically adding additional elements to increase the star rating comes with a diminishing rate of return. So what I mean by that is you put 1.5 insulation above your ceiling, it costs $1,000 or whatever, and say you get four stars energy As rating. As in your R rating 1.5? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. that's, that's um, you know, the R rating is a measure of how slowly the heat will travel through that material. So mm-hmm. R1.5 is 75 mils bulk insulation. Um, if you went to R2.5, which is usually about 900 mil, uh, it costs, say, an extra $500. And it might increase your star rating up to, well, we started with four. So it would increase it up to, say, five with an extra $500. That's fantastic. If you wanted to then increase to 3.5, so R3.5, insulation above your ceiling, costs another $500, but it's actually only going to add maybe 0.1 or 2 of a star. So as you get beyond six stars, you can keep increasing, but you've got to spend more and more money per star. Does that make sense? It does, yeah, and it's an incremental diminishing, isn't it, in relation to the expense that you're actually having, you know. So I think that's a great illustration, that insulation one. So you're saying 75 to 90 mil to then up to that. How thick is generally our 3.5 insulation, do you know, off your head? Oh, well, it depends if you're using high performance or not high performance. Um, I actually don't know that. Probably about 120 mil. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you're paying extra money but only incrementally increasing the star rating as a result. Whereas, and I imagine the same thing happens with your glazing choices. You go from, you know, clear to tinted to low E glass to double glazing, you know, those kinds of things, all quite significant cost increases with incremental impacts on the star ratings. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it it is possible. And I guess that's where you just want to just have a really collaborative approach with your designer and your energy rater and try and understand it as much as you can as a homeowner and a, a designer um, to understand, well, how far would you go and, you know, what are you willing to do and um, maybe, you know, you really love dark window frames, you just love that look and you love that design, but if you can see, well, effectively trading that off is costing me this much in extra glazing, well, oh, maybe I would. No, 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 I really want them. I'm, I'm prepared to pay for that. So, yeah, I think having that kind of understanding and collaborative approach is great. Not always possible, though. Yeah, I find that it's um, homeowners can get quite overwhelmed by all of the choices, but it, it, it's amazing when you get a price attached to something, how quickly it can help you assess your priorities and just how, how much value it is adding to you based on the price it's going to cost. And so, yeah, that, that recommendation of thinking about, okay, what are all these things that I could have? What are they all going to cost? What are the cost benefits going to be over the long-term running of the house? Um, and is that worth it to me? Um, and, you know, it is that thing of starting with the design at its basis of designing for climate, designing for orientation, and then what are those switches in and out that you can make, as you said, the colour, the addition of ceiling fans. I mean, I think ceiling fans are fantastic to include in a home anyway because they just you know, get air moving in the house very simply and can be, can create comfort very, very quickly. And the ones now that you can get with the reverse 
direction so they push mm. the heat down as well can improve the the ability of the house to stay warm where you're actually living at ground level you know yeah yeah in the house and i think so. i think understanding how fans contribute to the energy efficiency or to lowering your costs it seems really basic, but actually what it means is that on those days where, say, 24 degrees, we don't need fans, beautiful day, bit of a breeze, 25, 26, 27 inside your house, if you've got fans, you'll turn them on. You won't even think you need air conditioning because that'll be just cool and comfortable. You'll be happy. And when you realise that your particular climate zone, the temperature inside your house might be at that 25, 26, 27 for weeks, at a time, that's where you can see, ah, ceiling fans save me money because I'm not, I'm, I don't even want to turn on my air conditioning for weeks at a time. That's where you can understand, yeah, the benefit. Yeah, um, no, I think that's a great tip. Now, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, Tori, what big mistakes do you see people make when they're approaching the energy efficiency of their home and thinking about energy efficiency overall? Yeah, firstly, um, I get it. I get any mistake because I didn't even know about this industry before I got involved. So I think if people feel like, ah, oh, I've got so much to think about with my house, this is another whole area and I just, I don't know anything, that's okay because most people don't know anything. Although, as you said, I think people are starting to appreciate, especially with the energy costs rising, I think they're starting to appreciate at least the concept of the value of an energy efficient home. Um, in terms of mistakes, I think, I mean, we've spoken about it. One of them is just thinking it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I'm just all about design and I, I get it because I love good design. But yeah, when you can see if I put a little bit more money in now or if I take a little bit more time to get this right now, that's going to lead to savings over the next, well, the life of the house really. Um, I think that helps people understand that it does matter um, and I think once you know once it does cross your radar I guess it'll be a mistake to think I don't really care just just get a pass however you can <laughs> yeah so that's that's probably first mistake I think the second mistake is thinking it's this concept that's out there and not realizing yes there's a financial benefit but you alluded to it before it's the thermal comfort so I think when you're thinking of design, often you're thinking, well, what do I want it to be like? What do I want it to feel like? And to have, if you have an energy efficient home, normally you've got a home then that you can walk into on a hot summer's day with your tired kids or all your shopping and it's just cool. And that is really, really good. Or to have one of those homes that, you know, on a cold winter's day, you've got that nice sunny nook or you've, you've got that kind of warmth coming in. I mean, that's, that's, gold and that's what the energy efficient home will give you if you design it and construct it well so I think realizing that those two things go together um, and then the other thing I think is glazing and glazing is complicated um, but I think a mistake would be to just sort of think glazing is just one more thing one more component but actually it really is a big it's a big part of your wall and I explain it to people you know you're talking about putting bulk insulation in your wall your window does not have any bulk insulation in it. So that is, you know, it's often equivalent to a whole wall of your house that has nothing. Um, and even sort of really increasing to um, low E or double glazed, it still only increases the R value, sort of 0 0.1, 0 0.2. So sort of appreciating, I guess, the, uh, yeah, the 
appreciating the impact that your glazing will have, uh, both positively and negatively, because obviously you can draw in light, uh, you can see views, and also you can draw in winter heat with the sun. Um, appreciating that that is going to be a big thing to think about with your home. Yeah, mm. and even at the simplest level, make sure that you've still got money in your budget for window furnishings, you know, and yes. those types of things at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah it's everybody... Although, can I say, oh, sorry, can I just jump yeah. in and say window furnishing, this is something, I mean, I've learned so much uh, in this industry, but the fascinating thing about window furnishings is that you get the 90, well, okay, I'm making up this, uh, percentage, but 90% of your value in window furnishings, in keeping heat out and keeping warmth in, is actually in the air gap. So oh. heat doesn't travel. Yeah. Wow. So you can have like a really thick drape or you can have those special reflective kind of Holland blinds, but really just a piece of cotton yes. or a piece of anything, it will trap, the heat will come in through the window. Um, and it just travels really slowly through air. If you think about a kettle boiling, you touch it, well, old-style kettle, yes. a metal kettle, you touch it, it's hot. But if you hold your hand just like half a centimetre off, you're not getting burned. And that's because air is a really poor insulator, uh, well, a really good insulator, as in the, the heat doesn't travel through air. Yes. So if you're thinking window furnishings, um, really doesn't matter what they are. Go for whatever you like because they're gonna, as long as you've got them, they're going to do a really good job. That's a great tip. So... Tori, you've just given us some fantastic information in this interview. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to pop um, resources uh, in the show notes. Tori's got a fantastic blog on her website that just answers some of those really key questions that that I know a lot of I hear from a lot of homeowners about. You know, does this really matter? What if I do this? Will this yep. make a difference? Those kinds of questions, Tori's answered them on her blog. So it's a great, um, a great resource. And if you want to chat further to Tori, you can find her details there too. So thank you so much for your time, Tori. I really appreciate it. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Cheers. Now, I hope you found that interview helpful. As Tori and I were discussing, this actual step of assessing your energy efficiency can be something that you're quite distanced from as a homeowner because perhaps it doesn't occur until you're lodging your building approval with your building certifier. They simply are included as part of their process because it's necessary for you getting your building approval. You'll see it as a line item on your fee proposal. You don't really understand what happens, you know, what it can mean for your project, your budget, and the long-term feel and performance of your home. Now, it is great if an energy efficient home is your goal that you work with a designer and or a builder who is experienced at doing this and that you also work with an experienced energy efficiency consultant who can help you measure your home's performance well and can make useful suggestions in order to improve it. Tori's provided some great tips in this interview and as I said if you want to learn more about this topic she's got some fantastic blogs on her website so head to the show notes to grab that link and you can get in touch with her there as well. Her business bearer it services all of Australia. Now tune in next week because I'm going to be interviewing Narelle McDonald of Healthy Living Spaces. So Narelle is a building biologist and this is an area of expertise in the design and construction industry that can be useful to tap into if you're seeking to create a home that supports your health and well-being. It's actually a fascinating area of knowledge and it's one that I personally keep learning more and more about because it's definitely becoming more and more important to homeowners as they're building and renovating. 
Now, meanwhile, please remember to share this season with your friends and family who might be planning a renovation or new build and share this podcast generally. I am so passionate about providing access to great quality information and professional expertise. I really want to teach you how to get it right in your future family home. So if you haven't, please head to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast so you always know when a new episode is fresh and ready to hit your ears. And also please rate the podcast and leave a review wherever you're located. This makes a massive difference to who iTunes shows the podcast to and whether they can uh, determine if it's relevant for them or not. Okay. Now I have a lot of uh, resources that I've mentioned in this episode. So I'm going to pop those in the show notes for you as well. So you can head there uh, if you want to do any further investigation yourself or grab some information from those resources. As always, my sincere gratitude and thanks to you. And thank you so much for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time. Bye.